0: Our leader will now share for 20 to 25 minutes describing what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Our leader for tonight is Larry. Thank you. My name is Larry. I am a compulsive overeater. I I want to thank you for letting me speak with you this evening. Um, What it was like, I was uh, the chubby kid. One of my aunts put me on a diet when I was 10 years old. And from that time on, I always thought of myself, as fat as chubby is something wrong with me because I was big and I had also by that time gotten into husky clothes the husky jeans and the husky clothes and Through my school years that you know I Was I wasn't I was always proud because I was never the fattest kid There was always someone bigger than me, but I was in special ed and I was fat Um, in high school my I always laugh because when I was in my senior year in high school, my parents left home. They, uh, My fa- my parents were older when I was born, and my pa- parents retired, and they moved most of the time at their coastal uh, place that they had built, and I was left pretty much on my own, which I really, really enjoyed. I had had problems with my, as many of us had with our families, with our parents, and so I had... Time to myself. I had a job. I'd had a job since I was 13. My aunt owned a restaurant. I worked in a restaurant. You know, what better place for someone who is into food? I remember saying to someone, "They have a refrigerator you can walk into." Um, but the odd thing was that in high school, at this time, after my parents left home, my weight started going down. Um, I didn't consciously, I don't think, try to do anything but that senior year my weight went down and then my first couple of years in college my weight continued to go down but i always thought in my head i was still a fat person and i look at myself pictures of my you know my junior year senior year in in college and i wasn't particularly fat i was sort of normal size but in my head i was always fat and after college i I went into the Peace Corps and I lived in South America. And In South America and when I was in the Peace Corps when I started discovering a liking for alcohol. And my story would not be complete if I couldn't say that I'm one of those people that is sort of like has a trifecta, I, an alcoholic, a food, foodaholic, and I was into drugs by the time I got into recovery. but. Fast-forward ahead a little bit. I got out of the Peace Corps. I came home and was drafted and I spent 19 months in the army a year of which in Vietnam where my drinking really really took off and The food was kind of controlled because we were eating in the mess hall, so food wasn't an issue And I remember a friend of mine said do you think we're have a drinking problem? He said we're jogging to get to the club to get there. Well happy hour is still on and I had those kind of spells and then I got out of the army, and I came home, and I got went to work, and I got a job. After trying teaching school, and I was just talking to someone, I taught middle school a couple times, and 11- and 12-year-olds going through puberty were way too much for me to handle. So I ended up going to, into another, another line of work. It was either that or end up in San Quentin on death row for murder. Um, but as time went along, my weight went up, and my drinking went up. And, um, you know, it, it's, it, this is a progressive illness, and these are progressive diseases. And I would go to a program and lose weight, and then I, was, I would think I was cured, and I would go back right back to those patterns. And in 1977, I moved to San Francisco. I was 37, 36, 37 years old, depending on what time of the year I moved. Uh, and San Francisco in the 70s was a lot of fun, and I partook in a lot of fun, and my weight continued to go up, and my drinking increased, and over the years, it was just one failed diet, one attempting to not uh, not drink. 1989, I stopped drinking for most of the year and went back to a diet program, October 1989 we had the Loma Prieta earthquake and it was like I was out again for another 10 years And this is the part of the story that one of my friends really likes to hear, but it was shortly before Thanksgiving in 1998 And by then my life had gotten very very small. I was I was the sort of the classic working alcoholic at work I ate all day. My desk was where the the office candy dish was. I had food in my desk. For many years, I worked two two blocks from a very famous candy manufacturer, and I had that in my desk all the time. Anyway, it was eat all day. I'd get off, I'd go to the corner bar, which was literally two blocks from my house, have two or three drinks, be drunk, walk home, and many nights I'd buy drugs on my way home, go home, do the drugs, pass out, and get up and do the same thing. I wasn't doing anything else. I wasn't reading, I wasn't going to movies, I wasn't traveling, I wasn't. my life was just, that's what it was. The week before Thanksgiving, 1998, I was had gotten together and I was going to do a Thanksgiving dinner, so I stopped at the store on the way to the bar from work, and I had two bags of groceries, and I go to the bar, and I had my two or three drinks. When I say two or three drinks, this was my bar. I had my own glass, which years later I realized was a small ice bucket. So it was, only took two or three drinks, and I'm staggering down the street. with my two bags of groceries, and I decided it would be a good time to buy drugs. I bought—I don't even know if I got drugs, because after the transaction, I was arrested and hauled off to 850 Bryant eventually and spent the night— Most of the night, my roommate bailed me out, and I'm there at the desk, 3 o'clock in the morning, 3.30, saying I'm not leaving till I get my groceries. And so here I am at 3 o'clock in the morning, walking up the street, staggering with the beginnings of a terrific hangover, carrying two bags of groceries. After that incident, I had a friend who was Already in recovery. He had he had been someone that I had drank with one of my drinking buddies someone. I'd done drugs with and so I got through Thanksgiving and I got into a a deal where I went into a drug program and um, But anyway on New Year's Eve 1998 he took me to my first AA meeting and I went to and went to a clean and sober dance and I haven't had a drink since In January, I was in this drug program at Kaiser, and as the fates would have it, my counselor is an OA. And she tells me, she says, you know, Larry, I think you probably have a problem with food too. This was not a big jump, because at that time I weighed a little over 400 pounds. I'm six foot two, but 400 pounds is still very big. So I said, okay, tell me about it. And She told me about it, and I went to my first OA meeting, which was the May, the Thursday meeting, it's Our Lady of Safeway. And so then then my routine became, I would go after work for a long time, I went to my drug classes, then in the evenings I went to either OA or AA. Some nights it would be AA to OA. And I always thought, you know, the way things work out, one of the first service positions I had an AA was to be the sweetie, the person that brought the cookies, for the AA meeting. And then I would go from there to the OA meeting. Um, I got a sponsor, and I started working the steps. In 1989, when I had gotten sober, I went to one AA meeting a week, and I never got a sponsor, never worked the steps. This time I got a sponsor, and I was working the steps. And staying sober and getting a food plan together... And then something I didn't, wasn't, it didn't feel right to me, whether it wasn't working or gelling with my sponsor. And it was the hardest thing I ever did to call up the sponsor and say, I don't think it's working for us and I need to find someone, someone else. And he says, that's fine. My, I am part of my personality is I'm a people pleaser and I didn't want to disappoint or disappoint anyone and stuff. Years later, I ran into him at a meeting. And he said, well, you're do, really doing well and you survived having me as your sponsor. After that, I had another sponsor who I worked the steps through. And that, I think, was the turning point that really got me into recovery. I mean, I'd stopped drinking. I was following a food plan. In the first couple years, my food, or the first two or three years, my food plan was very rigid, and it was an awful lot like dieting. That being said, I dropped 140 pounds within two two years, and I started working the steps. And the fourth step and the fifth step were two of the most difficult, especially the fourth step. Another little part of me wants to be a perfectionist, so I wanted to do a perfect fourth step. And I was reading this literature and that literature, And I remember I was at a meeting, and O.A. had come out with a new book on doing the four-step, and I was going through it, and this friend of mine, woman at the meeting, says, put that down, just go home and do it, and stop stop screwing around with it. So at the time, I was working, um, working and traveling a lot with my job. So I got a timer, and I got a notebook, and I took the O.A. 12 by 12 And I started answering those gazillion questions in it, in this notebook, and I said, I can write for 10 minutes in the morning when I get up. I'd set the timer for 10 minutes, I would write and answer the questions. This, it took me several months to go through and finish this fourth step. Um, Then my sponsor and I, we went out to the beach and I read her the fourth step. To this day, every time I see her, we talk about this. I think she fell asleep She says she closed her eyes so she could listen closely. Because I thought this was this was was really riveting stuff. But but the thing was, after and it took me a couple hours to read that. And afterwards, we went out on the beach and very dramatically I ripped it up and burned it. And I thought, this is just it was just so symbolic. And I went home. And I was I was physically and emotionally exhausted because I had told her things I'd never told anyone in my life. I looked back at things that I never knew about. I started thinking about stuff that I had forgotten. Um, you know, I'm I'm an abuse survivor, uh, and it was stuff that I had had buried so deep that I I really hadn't hadn't remembered it. Um, and the next day I went to church, and I've been going to church most of my life, and it was like have they always been doing this here? Is this always been the way it was? It was like, for me, doing the fifth step was a real spiritual awakening, something I hadn't had in years. And then we went on and did the, the other steps. I will say, as dramatic as burning the fourth step on the beach was, when I got around to doing my eighth step, I wished I had that fourth step to go back to when you're doing the list of people you owe amends to. So I had to go back and kind of recreate some of that, but it was um, like I said, I had a very good sponsor, and she went with me every step of the way. I can't, having a sponsor is probably one of the most important things in for, in my opinion in having a successful program um, We went through this, I did my list of eight steps. She made me sit down and go over every person that was on that list and explain why I thought they should be on the list. Some of the people, she made me take off the list. Then she said, now I want you to put one name at the bottom of the list, I want you to put your name at the bottom of the list. Because you owe amends to yourself for what you've you've done to yourself. So I did. And then going around and making amends and every time we come around to the ninth month and we're reading the ninth step several times, I think about making amends was something that I really, really dreaded and yet when I actually started doing it, it was surprising because I'm someone that I would play in my head, I know how this is going to go and I know what people are going to say and I know what's going to happen. Nothing followed the script that I had written in my head. Um, I had a roommate that we'd been roommates off and on for many years. And I, <laughs> excuse me, I told him, I said, you know, I wanted to apologize for the things I've done when I was drinking and I realized we did this. And I had a list of things and everything. And he says, so, you know, he says, you know, when you were drinking, it wasn't that bad. You came home, you passed out, you went to sleep. He said, since you've been sober, you're really hard to live with. <laughs> so. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> this is so you get things not quite like you expect them, and then there are people that just come come to you, and it is so amazing. And every time I tell this story, I get weepy. And I remember early in program going to a meeting, and there was this person that was cried at every meeting, and they said, "Well, we call him Puddles." And I said, "Well, yeah, I'm not going to do that." Then of course I get into the meeting. I'm, crying and stuff so anyway but anyway this particular story was doing my ninth step I was working on Van S and there was a Califoods up at uh, California and uh, Hyde where Trader Joe's is now and I had a friend who was a checker there and I used to with his help literally steal food from the, from the place he would put stuff through and not check it for me and I didn't have to pay for it so I said, I re- and I had put this on there, and I really owed them an amends. So I'm in there one day buying something at lunch hour, and, I, and for some reason it just struck me. He says, this is it, go. And there's a woman, st- I have the cashier is cashing me out, and there's a woman standing here, and she's in a nice business suit. And I asked the cashier, I said, is that the manager? She says, no, that's the bookkeeper. I'm the manager. I said, oh, could I talk to you for a minute? And she says, yes. I said, um, I'm in a program, and wh- before I got in the program, I would come here and I would steal food. And she says, Oh, you're doing your ninth step. <laughs> I, s- I said, Yes, what can I do to make amends? She says, You just have. Oh, okay. And it was like, Wow. My sponsor, however, was not quite so forgiving. <laughs> forgiving. She says, That's very nice, I'm glad, but you have to think of something you're going to do. to to do this. Is there anything you're doing? I said, well, my church has a supper on Wednesday nights for the homeless. She says, donate some money and volunteer. So I did, and that was another fantastic opening that I wouldn't have done had I not been in recovery and listening to my sponsor. So I did a second fourth step just around my nuclear family which was really difficult because i had issues with my father my mother and i had two sisters and a brother and i just have the brother left and it was it was it was very hard and I, one of the things i ended up doing because by the time i got in recovery my parents were both gone is writing a lot of letters and going and standing in the cemetery and reading my letters to my parents and excuse me I thought sometimes someone's going to see me. They think I'm really a nutcase. But what was interesting, the letters started out very angry, and the letters got less angry, and it was it was something that I was forgiving them, but I was also forgiving myself. And it was a, it was one of the most healing things I've ever done. And writing those letters and being as frank as I could with my parents at the time was one of the, was a very very. I don't know, cleansing thing for me. And at the time I'd read this this article, Johnny Cash died, and they had interviewed Roseanne Cash. And she says, you know, when your parents die, your relationship with them doesn't end. And I thought, you know, and it sounds silly, but I think probably now I have a better relationship with my parents than I ever did when they were alive. I think I understand them a little better, and I hope that they understand me better. but anyway, that all that being said, it was not all straight sailing. I've had a few, I, I've been, when I was signing the release to be recorded, I realized I came into OA in the last century. So I've been here a long time. And I've had a lot of years of slipping and sliding and being abstinent for a period of time and then losing my abstinence. This time I've been abstinent since January released another 40 pounds, my doctor's very happy, um, and I'm, at this point in my life, my life is so much more than it was. When I said before I got in recovery my life was very small, now I have a lot of friends, I do things, I, I go to plays, I read, I go to movies, I take trips, I even have a timeshare in New York, and it is a much fuller life that I never ever could have had had I not gotten into recovery. And I, you know, I am forever, ever grateful. And I'm even grateful to getting arrested that night with my two bags of groceries on the street because that was the thing that was my bottom that got me in here. And it's been, it's for me at this point in my life, my recovery is a journey it's not a destination. And I'm working now. I've got, I have a sponsor. I have a food sponsor. Um, and my food plan is something that is flexible, but it's something that it's not so much a food plan as it's the way I'm planning to eat the rest of my life. It's the way, the way that I can eat. There are things that I don't, don't have in my house. There are things that I may eat out that I would never bring into my house. But the thing is that my life is so much better now than it was before I got into recovery. And, you know, at first I'd hear people say, I'm a gratefully recovering uh, alcoholic or compulsive overeater, and I didn't understand it, and now I do. Because the growth I've had and who the person I've become would not have been possible without recovery, without the 12 steps, without my sponsors, without people like you coming to meetings so we could we could have meetings and I could hear your stories and you could hear my stories and from what I understand and what is important to me the fellowship is the thing that keeps us going and the thing that is is really important and I'm just so grateful and I thank you very much for asking me to speak I, you know, this is my, this was my story, this is my journey, and I'm just really glad to be here today, and I'm, I'm glad to be abstinent today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you Holly.